Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Sometimes when you try to act for a living, you get lucky. You get a role in a big movie right out of school. You're set for life. That's what happened to Edie Falco. Literally the day after she graduated, she went to the set for her first film gig. She made it. No need to wait tables or be a dead body on Law and Order. Or that's what she thought. Anyway, so I did this movie, and I didn't work for five years after that. It was as hard as they said it would be. It was a lot of hours of wondering, you know, how I was going to make rent and having to show up for restaurant shifts. And, you know, it's, it's a tough it's a tough go of it, for sure. Did you get dropped by your agent? Well, I hadn't heard from him in so long. At some point, I called him to see what was going on. And they said, oh, we're so glad that you called. He went into real estate. <laughs> it's Bullseye. <laughs> Coming up, Edie Falco on her long, fascinating road to success. She did end up waiting tables and appearing on Law and Order, but then she went on to have unforgettable roles on The Sopranos and Nurse Jackie. She even had a stint on 30 Rock, and she was amazing at it. But she insists that comedy isn't for her. It is one of those things I, I sort of tiptoed away from, like, all right, you wanted to do it, you did it. Just go home, <laughs> go back to the stuff you do well. And leave it alone. Then Hunter Pence, the wild-eyed outfielder for the San Francisco Giants. He's been subject to some of the weirdest heckles in baseball. Handheld signs that say stuff like, Hunter Pence can't parallel park, and Hunter Pence eats pizza with a fork. And then they always wanted to know if it was true or false. Like, they needed my response. And they would just, like, hold it up and stare at me. It was like... Hunter Pence uh, prefers thick crust pizza. And then I'd have to like give him like a no or a yes, and then they'd be okay. Hunter Pence loves wearing jean shorts. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't wear jean shorts anymore. <laughs> Just in high school. And finally, a television show too weird for me to wholeheartedly recommend to you, except that, yes, I totally do wholeheartedly recommend it to you. It's all coming up on Bullseye. Let's go. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is Edie Falco. Edie is an incredibly talented actor. She graduated from SUNY Purchase's acting school, along with Ving Rhames and Stanley Tucci in the 80s. And at first, work was steady but slow. She had bit parts in movies here and there, a recurring role on Oz. She was on Homicide, Law & Order. It was over a decade into her acting career before she got her breakout role, The Sopranos, HBO's classic mob drama. Edie played Carmela, Tony Soprano's wife. She was brilliant on the show, loving, fierce, independent, tragic. She subverted the mob wife archetypes, too. Above anything else, Carmela wanted a normal life. She just wanted her kids to go to a good school. She wanted her husband to show up for dinner. Less Hell's Kitchen, more Essex County, New Jersey. Now, Edie Falco is starring in a brand new film. It's called Outside In, directed by Lynn Shelton. Edie plays Carol, a high school English teacher. She's married. She has a daughter. 
In the film, Carol becomes pen pals with a former student of hers named Chris, who's in jail on a 20-year sentence. Chris is played by Jay Duplass. The two of them become close, and they start confiding in each other. After he gets out, things get complicated. Chris finds her outside a restaurant. They hug. He gives her a portrait he made of her while he was in prison. In this scene, Carol goes over the encounter with a colleague in the teacher's lounge. Look at you. You're looking a little windblown. What are you talking about? What was that devious little smile? What devious little smile? I just, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a nice weekend is all. Something is happening with you, and I don't know what it is, and I need to know, Carol. That's just, just, um, I think Chris has, like, a little crush on me. Oh, my God, that's hot. <laughs> no, but wait, I'm, I'm worried that it's going to affect his reentry. You know? No pun intended. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So? What? How do you feel about him? I, you know, it's Chris. I'm, you know, he's great, but uh, he was my student. Like, uh, I mean, well, of course I'm fond of him. I mean, t- 20 years, you can't help but get close, you know. But I don't know. It's, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm married. Edie Falco, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm happy to be here. Are you at a point in your career where you're um, considering roles other than really interesting mom? Uh, where I'm considering roles other, other than, than really interesting mom, like 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 a like a somebody that's typing something into a console, like a computer console or something, right? I feel like yes. you're America's greatest uh, very complicated mom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I do the stuff that comes across my desk. I mean, if I had a desk. Um, so that it's these are the things that are written about women of a certain age. And, it, uh, you know, it's nice when there are other characteristics involved as well. But it isn't always the case, I have to tell you. Uh, this movie is about a woman who is in middle-aged with a teenage kid. And I think she realizes that she has not made a lot of choices for herself. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's had extraordinarily narrow horizons. Mm-hmm. And also maybe that she's kind of lonely. Mm-hmm. You know, you've you've had an extraordinarily successful career that in some ways kind of kicked off as you were just about to enter middle age when you were already in your 30s. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder how uh, you feel about being in that time in your life. Hmm. I don't know. You know, it's so funny. I've had so many people ask me about um, uh, being of a certain age. And it's funny. It's only when people say that, that I remember that I am of this certain age. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, I was always sort of an awkward kid. And I just feel in a lot of ways that I finally hit my stride. Like, I, I, uh, the reality is it has gotten, it in every single way, my life has gotten better by the decade, you know? The experience of being a human, a woman, an actress has gotten richer and fuller as I've gotten older. Um 
and older in my definition of that word, which just means, you know, I have more years behind me than I used to. But uh, so I don't know. I'm just I uh, I'm thrilled. <laughs> I don't know. I love it. I think um, my opportunities are far greater. I'm also in an industry that is also coming into its own uh, insofar as roles for women and the kinds of characters that uh, people like to watch. I don't know. The timing has all been perfect um, for my taste. Did you think that you were going to have a career when you were, you know, in your late 20s and you were working as an actress very intermittently? Or did you go to bed at night a lot thinking, I might have to think of another plan for my life? My mom was an actress when I was little. She did community theater. And I that's how this whole thing started for me, is I used to go with her and watch every rehearsal, every performance. I was completely caught up in the excitement of this weird thing she did in the evenings and on the weekends. But she had a real job, you know, during the day. And at a certain point when I realized how much I loved it, I assumed that that's what I would do. I'd get a job. And in the evenings on the weekends, I would do those plays that I love. So I don't think um, – I, I don't think I, I – I know, actually. I never imagined turning away from it. I mean, I kind of fantasized about the idea of not having this other job that I had to go to. So if I had gone out to a cast party or something, I could sleep in the next morning. But the idea that I actually make not just money, but I make a comfortable living doing this thing that I love to do is still, to this day, at this point in my career, uh, preposterous to me. So, um, no, I, I, it, was never, it was never anything I considered not doing. I didn't know I would do it on the scale that I get to do it. So there's a lot of gratitude wandering around my life, and it serves me well. You also, though, went to a really serious and slightly scary acting school at SUNY yeah. Purchase. Mm-hmm. Everyone is super serious. And also it's one of those programs where people get dumped out of it. <laughs> yeah, all the time. Um. So you must have I in other words I I don't think that you I don't think that anyone would go through that in order to do community theater on the weekends. Mhm. Um so As I, I said, imagine was, you must have been pretty serious. Well, there was never a plan. I had gotten into I'd gone to purchase first as a liberal arts student. Mm. And when I got there, one of my very good friends from high school was also there and he had gotten into the acting program. So while I was doing my liberal arts stuff, I saw him with the actors and the the longing was was almost unbearable. As it would happen, I got very sick very early into my um, freshman year. I got mono and hepatitis at the same time. They sent me home. And as I recovered, I decided I was going to go back to that same school and audition. If my friend got in, I was going to audition for the, the, the theater department, which I did and which I, I got in. And throughout my time at Purchase, I was kind of made to feel that I didn't really have a place there. You know, I didn't quite fit in as I had hoped. A lot of the other kids in the, school, in the program had been the leads in their school play or they had been given lots of feedback throughout the years that they were talented and they kind of had an idea of their career, what it was going to be. And I was just sort of lost and because uh, I didn't know how to do what I was doing. I didn't know how to talk about what I enjoyed doing. Anyway, I, I, so the whole time I was at Purchase, I was like, well, I get to do plays and I get to do them in these great theaters. But clearly these people don't seem to think that I will work once I leave here. 
And so, um, you know, I was always on that same sort of, doesn't matter, I'll do a play, I'll do plays, I'll continue to do plays in little walk-up, you know, loft spaces in the 20s in Manhattan. And that's, and I was perfectly fine with that. Did you feel like you didn't belong in that serious acting program at Purchase because of something that was going on inside of you or because of something that people actually said or did while you were there? I think those two things are are they go hand in hand. I you know, I was an awkward kid and I went there without a lot of confidence to start with. And the other women in the in the year that I was accepted were all very lovely, ingenue type women. So whenever they had to cast a play within my acting company, nobody seemed to know what the hell to do with me. So I would get all the like, you know, the the so-and-so's grandmother, they'd put me in a fat suit and black out one of my teeth, and the, the whore with two lines who come, walks across the stage. You know, like, <laughs> they just, nobody knew what to do with me. And, uh, you know, I was playing all these character roles until you realize, you know, in the real world, if they want an old lady, they're going to get an old lady. You know, I'm not going to get a 25-year-old in a fat suit or whatever, you know. So it was um, a combination, I think, of the way I portrayed myself the the lack of confidence I had about myself and the fact that that fed into the way they had to cast these plays among 30 kids in their in their late teens or whatever, early 20s. What was it like when you graduated? And um, I presume, did, did you move to Manhattan right after graduation? I did. You know, we had these league auditions. I don't know if you know what they are. It's, uh, I, I, don't, I won't bore you with the details, but there's a big audition at the end of the four years in front of an audience of casting people and producers. That was like the carrot they held at the end of the stick and to do these, all the hard work of are, these four years. Are these like film and TV casting producers, like yep. regional theater that, summer stock producers? No, Just, no, like, you know, across the board, like, you know, legitimate theater people, film people, everybody. Um, there were at the time 11 schools that qualified. It was like Juilliard, Yale, North Carolina School for the Arts, blah, 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 and Purchase was in there. So we would all get, I don't know, an allotted period of time to show our graduating students. And from that, if you were lucky, someone would call you into their office to meet with them. So um, out of those league auditions, I ended up uh, – I got an agent and I got my first job. And the day after I graduated, let's just say like June 16th or whatever it was, June 17th, I had to be on the set. So I sort of thought, you know – that I'd gotten the last laugh, you know, <laughs> like uh, like it's going to be smooth sailing. I don't know what anybody's talking about, you know, waiting tables and all that stuff. Anyway, so I did this movie and I didn't work for five years after that. Um, it it uh, was as hard as they said it would be. It was a lot of hours of wondering, you know, how I was going to make rent and having to show up for, um, you know, restaurant shifts. And, you know, it's, it's a tough it's a tough go of it, for sure. Did you get dropped by your agent? Well, I hadn't heard from him in so long. At some point, I called him to see what was going on. And they said, oh, we're so glad that you called. He went into real estate. <laughs> and if you want to come pick up your headshots, we have them here at the front desk. And that or, is no joke. Or if you're interested in a condo. Yeah. <laughs> we know just the guy for you. Yeah. Nice no, so that was my 50s. life. That was yeah. That was that was my early life in New York. How did you get the audition for The Sopranos? 
I was doing um, Oz at the time, and so I was busy. It was kind of a busy work week, and I had heard about the project. I thought it was about singers, honest to God. And so I thought, well, they probably won't call me. And then I heard it was about um, like Italian mobsters or something, and I thought, well, they, they won't call me. They called me. I read it. I thought, yes, I totally know who this woman is. They'll never cast me. You know, they'll cast one of those girls that, that like Annabella Shore or Marissa Tomei. Like they sort of had that Italian street looking kind of thing, you know, more uh, stereotypically Italian looking. And that had been my experience that casting people weren't traveling outside, much outside of what was expected. So, yeah, I went in, did the audition uh, and I left and it was fun. I went back to Oz and then I think either that night or the next day or something, they called and said I got it. Crazy, crazy, crazy times. Let's hear a scene from The Sopranos with my guest, Edie Falco, who played Carmela Soprano, who was the, the wife of, of James Gandolfini's Tony Soprano. And um, there's a clip where she is confronting Tony about the affairs that he's been having, but she's also revealing that she has been having an emotional affair with someone who works for Tony. Can I tell you something, Tony? Don't pretend like I got a choice. The last year, I have been dreaming and fantasizing and in love with Furio. <laughs> what? Every morning when he'd come to pick you up, I would look forward to it all night long in bed next to you. Those nights when you were actually in the bed. And he would ring the doorbell. I felt like my heart would come out of my chest. He would smile, and we'd talk. And then you would come down the stairs. And I felt probably like someone who was terminally ill, and somehow they managed to forget it for a minute. And then it all comes back. He talked to you all. Poor you. He made me feel like I mattered. That's him punching a hole through the wall. I remember. <laughs> that scared me a little. You mean to hear it now or at the time? No, well, you know what? It is a surprisingly difficult to hear Jim's voice. I was very surprised. Um, no, when we rehearsed it, he didn't punch a hole in the wall. But the cameras rolled and Jimmy did other things and I loved that. One of the many things I loved about working with him. I mean, I can imagine that being scary, not least because, you know, he has a, a kind of beautiful, kind vibe that comes through in his body. But his body is also like, he's just like a big dude. Mm -hmm. so, and so to see him be violent is terrifying for that reason that you realize that you have been... You know, you're enthralled to, you know, the twinkle in his eyes. Mm -hmm. And he's punching all through the wall. Yes. He was a volatile individual, not personally, not certainly not towards me. I mean, um, but my reaction, I recall, was really more as Carmela than as Edie. Like, I don't think I ever really feared for my safety. But I don't know. I think, that, you know, it's such a long time ago. And I, the truth is I don't remember a single one of those lines. I thought, oh, my God, what the hell is this? Um, but I do remember him punching that wall and thinking she wanted him to get that angry. You know, she that's what she was hoping for. 
she wanted to goad him and, uh, you know, she knew that she could still move him in that way. So, yeah, my my reactions to Jim were all um, as Carmela, as I have said in previous interviews, like we didn't have much of a personal relationship, he and I. It was uh, just Tony and Carmela, really. Um, but that was a pretty intense one. Well, especially for 10 years. Yep. Yeah. More Bullseye after a quick break. When we return, she'll tell me about her home run appearance on 30 Rock and why she doesn't know if she can do comedy ever again. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. Support for Bullseye and the following message come from WordPress.com. WordPress.com offers e-commerce options that range from an effective buy button to a complete online store as well as code-free site building, so you don't need a professional designer to get your website up and running. If you need help, WordPress has a customer support team that's available 24-7. Learn more and get 15% off any new plan purchase at wordpress.com slash bullseye. Hi, I'm Mindy Thomas from NPR's Wow in the World, and this week it's all about Operation Earth. How to be cool to a planet that's getting hot. Check it out with the curious and conscientious kids in your life. Find Wow in the World on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Here with me now, the actress Edie Falco. Along with Jay Duplass, she stars in the new film Outside In, which is out now. I thought you were so wonderful on 30 Rock, which is one of my favorite television shows of all time. Hmm. And Thank I have you. to say, I have to say that a lot of brilliant actors and actresses appeared on Thirty Rock in guest roles, and um, not all of them were wonderful on the show. <laughs> um, you know, some people were were hard pressed uh, to keep up, mm-hmm. and you were you were so elegant and hilarious in your role as a a liberal congresswoman who has a romance with Alec Baldwin's uh, conservative TV executive character, Jack Donaghy. Right, right. And it made me think, gosh, if anybody could ever be in like a um, a new Larry Sanders show, which is basically my holy grail of television programs, all oh. I ever want is for people to make, not those show business part. I mean, I'm fine with the show business part, but like- right. Uh, just a, a a show that truly is a comedy, but is completely driven by uh, feelings, uh-huh. like real human feelings. Yes, um, it would be you. And I wonder if oh it, it is is Nurse Jackie as which is a show that sort of presented itself like it might be like an outrageous comedy, but became a drama with funny moments. Yeah, uh, is that as close to a straight comedy as we're going to get out of Edie Falco? <laughs> Gosh, you know, I I, nev- I have no idea. I have no idea. I, uh, you know, I, I'm at the point now where I get sent stuff and I read it. And, uh, you know, I have some sort of kinesthetic reaction to it. That, and within that, I make a decision about whether or not to do it. So, I mean, it's anybody's guess as to what comes next and what comes after that. Or, But um, I will tell you how nice it is to have you say that about the 30 Rock thing because to this day – it is one of those things I, I sort of tiptoed away from like, all right, you wanted to do it and you did it. Just go home, <laughs> go back to the stuff you do well, and leave it alone. So I, I have never seen it. I will never see it. I felt so out of my element. It was so clear that this was a whole set of muscles I either was not born with or they were dormant. 
you know, I watched Alec and I thought, holy crap, this is really, you know, it's like being in the circus or something. I just didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, Look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be a jerk or anything to Alec Baldwin, but you're funnier than Alec Baldwin. Oh, come on. Yeah, for sure. No doubt about it. All right, I'll take it. No, um, I, you know, I, I didn't feel like it at the time, I have to say. I was thrilled to have been asked to do it. But these guys, you know, I, were really, um, you know, really, I was terribly out of my element. Well, Edie Falco, that's very kind. Thank you so much. Edie Falco, thank you so much for taking all this time to talk to me. I, I, I sure appreciate it. It was really oh, nice. Oh, it was a pleasure, you. for sure. Edie Falco. Outside In is available to rent or buy on pretty much every platform. Make sure to check it out. Also, if you haven't seen her in 30 Rock, uh, she was one of the best celebrities to appear on the show. In fact, I'm going to say the best celebrity to appear on the show. Sorry, Steve Buscemi. You were also really great. Give it a look. You'll see what I mean. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Baseball season's kicking into high gear, and I am really excited about this next guest. San Francisco Giants outfielder Hunter Pence. He and I talked a couple months ago, right when spring training was kicking off. He's from Texas. He went to the University of Texas at Arlington. He was drafted by the Astros in 2004, debuted in 2007 in the major leagues, and by 2009, he was an all-star. He was traded to the Giants in 2012, I will admit here that I love the Giants, and he helped bring the team to World Series victories. All of that, of course, is impressive, but the most interesting thing about Hunter Pence is the way that he plays the game. And I don't even think you need to be a baseball fan to see it. He's tall and kind of gangly. He wears high socks. He has a beard sometimes, curly hair. When he's at the plate, he takes a very wide stance, almost crouching, and he, and he fidgets all the time. He never stops moving. And when he throws, he sort of flings it. It's very strange. When he runs, he kind of pounds the ground awkwardly, but he's also a spectacular athlete. None of it is graceful, but all of it is delightful to watch. All of that, plus his bug-eyed inspirational speeches and his avowed passion for board games, has made him basically a cult hero of baseball. little flare to right. Pence coming in, and Pence makes the diving catch. High drive, left field, it is out of here! Left field, tagging Hernandez, the catch, Bellinger's throw, the Giants have won it, and Hunter Pence, what a plate appearance that was, an epic plate appearance. Hunter Pence, welcome to Bullseye, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Thank you, Jesse. It's good to be here. So, Hunter, uh, I, I want to know, you, you just got to Arizona for spring training. What, do you, what did you do today? Yeah, so I uh, got in uh, last night, um, got situated, just, uh, you know, basically woke up, came to the field. They have uh, a little stretch, uh, got a little workout in, did some baseball skills work, uh, and then basically ate lunch and waited around for this interview. <laughs> what's what's on the docket? Simple. Sounds like today's easy day. Yeah, I mean, it's just getting situated. I, I probably got to get my house set up. I probably got to, after this, go pick up, you know, the things you need around the house, like hair conditioner and hand soap and toilet paper. So I got a lot of really fun stuff to do. I don't know if I'll have enough time. 
Does that does that get easier that you have a weird other place to live for three and a half, four weeks, however long spring training is once a year? A weird other place to live? <laughs> well, I mean, I presume that you don't live at spring training. Oh, oh, is it? Yeah, moving three times a year. Yeah, it's it's a little, you know, and you always find because I never bought a house in uh, in Arizona, and so you always got to find a new place and, and get situated with everything. I actually, funny story, I got I was on my way to this interview, and I got locked in the parking garage because I happened to forget my keys and I couldn't find my way out, and I didn't have the right fob for the elevator. So it was like a, a whole journey to get to this interview. I was like. Hunter versus time, unlike Tom versus time, <laughs> to make it. But I fought, I fought hard, and I got here. <laughs> I appreciate your sacrifice, Hunter. Um, so I think folks who might not have seen you play baseball who are listening to this uh, wouldn't realize the distinctiveness of your playing style. Um, it is uh, the subject of much fascination among baseball fans because <laughs> – you are both exceptionally good at playing baseball and look vaguely like you've never done it before. <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, it brings me a lot of joy. I'll tell you that, Hunter. And Awesome. Um, I, did you always look that way when you were playing? Yeah, I think so. Um, I never knew I looked that way because we didn't have all the video cameras. I know this dates how old I am now. But we didn't have all that technology, and I remember the first time I saw my warm-up swing, I was like, what the hell is that? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that is not what's going on in my head. Yeah, I just um, have always, you know, played by feel and, like, looking at, like, what I can do and, and like, how it feels and, and what succeeds and, like, trying to just get the most out of myself. Did you ever have coaches tell you, you can't try and play baseball like this? You have to do a thousand uh, no. reps of. Do you have to do a thousand <laughs> reps of normal baseball playing? I mean, even if they told me to try to do it their way, I, when you can't do it, they just go, "Okay, well, you know, the ball's coming off the bat, all right, so we'll put him in the lineup." <laughs> <laughs> He's running down the first pretty hard, pretty fast. All right. Did you feel like the distinctiveness of your play meant that you always had to demonstrate that you belonged there because you didn't have a you know, a beautiful Will Clark swing? No, I never really, like, I just, I, I never really was, like, trying to prove anything. I was just, like, like, I love to compete, and I was just going to try to win whatever game or whatever league we were in. Like, I wanted to just win it all, and I just wanted to find a way to win and enjoy playing as a team and doing it for, like, the group. Um, that's, that's the thing I love about baseball is the team camaraderie and, like, how getting everyone going and, and celebrating together. And, like, to me, I'm always inwardly, like, you know, controlling what I can control and just, uh, you know, trying to trying to strive for those dreams. Not, like, trying to prove anything else, just like I have my own, my own path that I care about, and that's to win wherever I'm at and enjoy it. I want to play a clip of you in 2014. And this was the Giants – uh, third World Series run in in a five year span, and it was your second World Series run w with the Giants in that time. And this is you in the clubhouse, uh, and I think this is uh, right after the National League Championship Series had ended. I'll tell you right now, I 
It's so fantastic to hear. I just really get a kick out of hearing that. I, I like to imagine that you're giving that talk, you know, if I, an audio only, like from behind a lectern in the clubhouse looking at uh, three by five note cards. No, that was just what I felt. <laughs> there was nothing. That's just like, I don't even know where it, come, where it came from. It comes from, from literally, like, the momentum is, is, like, thought deep, deep, deep from before the season even starts. Like, it, it, it's it's from a lot of time thinking about it and a lot of time of feeling and a lot of passion in my heart and it's just it just comes out that's great why do you wear your socks so high because it's comfortable <laughs> it's not that comfortable i i used to wear my socks high and it it kind of it kind of pokes at the at the top back of the top of your calf sort of behind your knee it, like it well, reminds uh, you it's there more than it does down by your ankle I don't like the pants tugging at my knee when I'm playing a sport. So, mm-hmm. like, when it's over my knee or, like, if my pants are down, um, I don't feel like I'm as athletic. Like, so I'm just trying to get stuff out of my way so I can be more athletic. I love it, Hunter. I don't want anyone listening to this to think that I'm opposed to high baseball pants. It's, in fact, <laughs> no, it's okay. it's if okay. anything, I care about it too much. I enjoy. I will root for basically any baseball player who's showing a lot of socks. If you put on real stirrups, you're automatically my favorite baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> I would see. I, I like the look of stirrups. I agree with you. They're awesome, but the the actual stirrup underneath the foot is uncomfortable to me. So I, I'm looking for like being in the most comfortable state I can be in. And yeah, I, it's not necessarily the best look, but I'm kind of I'm kind of one of those guys that goes for comfort. I want to feel good when I'm out there. When you hit a baseball with a baseball bat and you don't hit it entirely squarely, it hurts your hands a lot. Um, yeah. I remember the way that that pain sort of goes. I mean, I, I, I remember it going up past my elbows, you know, uh, if, you, if you hit one in the wrong place on the bat. And baseball players usually wear two batting gloves partly to counteract that. Uh, I've seen you mostly play with one batting glove, which is very unusual. How did that end up happening? Um, You know, it just, uh, I think it was like when I was a kid, it was like $5 for one and 20 for two. So my dad was just like, the main one you need is the bottom. And I got kind of used to it. So like once you get used to something, it just like, it just, I don't know if I'm OCD or what the case, but I like the feeling of my hand on the bat with the right. But if I take the bottom glove off, I lose. I feel like I lose my grip. So like, there's like a balance to it that feels good. You changed the way you wore your pants at one point. Um, did it feel like you were a different guy when you were? Yeah, it felt it felt really awful. 
And then I looked in the mirror and I was like, who are you? Who is this? Never again. But it was like all, all my teammates were like, you got to try it. You got to try it. So, you know, I'm all about being a team player. And, yeah, it was, it was not a good day. I think next time, next time you go into a batting slump, you know, come out for a game in those Manny Ramirez pants. Like three inches too long, five inches too big in the waist. No, I'm never again. <laughs> <laughs> the baseball pants equivalent of like DMX's jeans. That's MC I, Hammer pants? Get some MC Hammer pants? Yeah, peg them. Get some harem pants. <laughs> How about a dropped crotch baseball pant like a Justin Bieber type pant? Oh, man. No, thank you. I just, like I said, I'm looking for efficiency and comfort. That's it. (laughs) We'll have even more with Hunter Pence when we return from a quick break. Still to come, are the signs true? Does Hunter Pence really prefer thick crust pizza? Can Hunter Pence parallel park? Is he really not that into Game of Thrones? All your questions answered. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This is Peter Sagal. When we began Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, we dreamed that our rude jokes would be, in the end, the appropriate way to talk about the news. And look, it happened. Listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Bullseye and the following message come from ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring? Every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and waiting for the right people to see it. ZipRecruiter can help. Their technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. Try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash bullseye. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with San Francisco Giants outfielder Hunter Pence. You've talked a lot about um, your passion for gaming. And at one point, you were a very, very serious, I think, World of Warcraft player, right? Yeah, when I was younger, yeah. Was that... I wouldn't say very, very serious. I just played it a lot. I enjoyed, It was like the only game that I played but for you, a while. But you were like a... You weren't a professional level player, but for an amateur player, you were like a... I'm not super conversant in World of Warcraft, but you were like a top level guy, right? This like was you before, were serious. This was before there was like professional and it was like kind of starting, but I ranked high enough that I was invited to one of the pro tournaments. But what? I had to go to spring training. <laughs> so it's like the offseason would have more time. It's like workout, baseball, World of Warcraft all day. I got to where I was like getting invited to go to professional tournaments. And then I was like, ah, oh, sorry, team, because you have a team on there. I was like, I got to go to spring training. <laughs> like, come on, we got invited. I'm like, sorry, you got to go. Did the other people on your team know that you were a Major League Baseball player? Uh, yeah. One of them was like an MMA fighter, and I don't know what the other guy did. I think he was like, he was just like a young college kid that was like, I think he was like running cars, uh, valeting and stuff. It's kind of a strange and amazing thing to have that kind of closeness to people who are in completely random places and doing completely random things and you're just brought together by this odd this this odd passionate hobby uh that you all it's a world it's the world of warcraft (laughs) it's an open world you meet them out there 
And yeah, you both, you know, in that game, I would just like sit outside the big city and challenge everyone to a duel and like work to get better and invite them to join an arena. And whenever it clicked, whenever teams were good, we just like kept at it. And that's how we met. Have you ever played yourself in MLB The Show? Yeah. Is it weird? The, the Giants, not just myself. <laughs> I don't know whether it would be weirder to to be the Giants. It's more weird to or be a non, to be to like the Phillies the or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's more weird to not play with the Giants. I like I get excited playing with the with the Giants. I get mad at myself. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Don't you know? Like I expect a lot out of my gaming Hunter Pence. Are you happy with are, are you happy with yourself as rendered in video games? I feel like if I was if there was a video game avatar of me. Uh, I would mostly find it upsetting. No, I'm I'm very happy with it. They give me way, they give me a super strong arm. They don't make me fat quite fast enough as I would I think, but I think they do a pretty good job. They do a real good job with my stance and stuff. Hunter, I'm going to read from you from a list of questions that my colleague Lindsay gave me. Um, <laughs> All right, she All right. she is uh, she is herself a very serious. Uh, gamer and an esports fan, which I know you are both an esports fan and uh, an investor in a big esports outfit. Um, yeah, I'm completely. I don't know anything about this stuff, so I literally just said write some things down. Okay. The first I'm excited about this. Yeah, the first one is this is a this is a League of Legends question. Uh, which is a popular... Uh, I know what League of Legends is. Yeah, well, but our, our listeners oh, at home listener might not know, the Hunter. Oh, okay, okay. Our, our listeners at home might not know that it's a video game with, I think, fighting and magic spells. And yeah, there's different and guys. and all sorts of stuff, abilities, yeah. Um, so her question is, what role do you main? Jungle. Okay, do you ever duo with your wife, who's uh, actually... Uh, a stretch a uh, a twitch streamer uh, like a a video game i don't know what you would call it performer that would be so awesome if she would take the time to learn league of legends she one time played heroes of the storm for a little bit but um no we don't ever we don't ever get the duo she plays other games uh with me though do you find yourself having to explain your jockiness to esports people and your nerdiness to jockey people i find myself having to explain my nerdiness to jockey people more than uh my sport my jockiness to to nerdy people nerdy people do not care they're like oh sports ball and then they move on about their day (laughs) um jockey people like get like offended sometimes and like like are really confused and want like they want to understand but they just like don't understand um, sometimes, so I, I, it's definitely more uh, more explaining towards the jockey people. The nerds, they're just like, hmm, sorry, um, yeah, they don't. They're just like on to the next thing, and some of them like it, but very few do. It's actually, you know, it's it, it's no big deal to them. You were the subject of a um, probably baseball's only semi-ironic taunting campaign. Um, uh, a couple of years ago in which people in visiting ballparks were making signs accusing you of jokey, horrible things. Like, I, I, I think it started with some New Yorkers saying that you ate pizza with a knife and fork. Um, 
was it weird to uh, instead of have someone yell at you for being a bum, uh, have this big weird meta joke about people <laughs> about uh, opposing fans making fun of you? It was uh, really funny, to be honest with you, because (laughs) they would come with some hilarious signs, and then they always wanted to know if it was true or false. Like, they needed my response, and they would just, like, hold it up and (laughs) stare at me. It was like, Hunter Pence uh, prefers thick crust pizza, and then I'd have to, like, give them, like, a no or a yes, and then they'd be okay. You know? Hunter Pence... Loves wearing jean shorts. And I'd be like, no, 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 no. I don't wear jean shorts anymore. (laughs) Just in high school. Were there any that actually did end up being true? Some of them. Yes. Which? I mean, like that. I I prefer thick crust pizza. Okay. I don't know. Fair point. I mean, Um, I I put ketchup on hot dogs. At the time, there was one that said Hunter Pence thinks Game of Thrones is just okay, and I hadn't, I don't, I hadn't gotten into it, and so (laughs) at the time, I was like, yeah, and Hunter Pence can't parallel park. I'm not, I can't really do that very well. Um, So there's, yeah, there's a couple of them that were true. Is that just you just grow up in Texas and it's it's just not a skill that's called called for? Yeah, it's not called for. There's plenty of space in Texas. Okay, I'll just walk a few extra steps to not parallel park. Uh, Hunter, I'm a lifelong San Francisco Giants fan. And my producer, Kevin, is a lifelong Los Angeles Dodgers fan. We've managed to work that out between ourselves. Um, I really like the guy despite his flaws. But <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder what it's like uh, to be on one of those teams Especially when this isn't something that you grew up with. You know, you grew up in Texas. You didn't care about the Giants versus the Dodgers. Is it something that you feel when you're actually in that game? You definitely feel it. I mean, the electricity is in the stadiums. The intensity is there. And I would, I would venture to say it's like it's a treasure when, uh, when it's Giants and Dodgers both vying for the top spot. And all of those series, um, when it gets that, that intense – it's an absolute treasure, and it's great to have rivals, and it's great to have that kind of fun and, and that kind of banter. You should you should consider yourself lucky to have a producer that you get to when we win celebrate, and when we lose, put your hoodie on. You know, like that. <laughs> it just is fun. It's fun. That's what sports is about, and it's great to have uh, such a great rivalry as we do. And I, I love being a part of it. Well, Hunter, I'm so grateful for all the time you spent talking to us, and uh, I'm so grateful that I get to watch you play baseball. So thank you very much for coming on Bullseye. Hey, thank you, Jesse. It's, it's been a pleasure. I hope, uh, I hope uh, you know, we get to meet again sometime soon. Hunter Pence. If you're in the Houston area, Hunter now co-owns a coffee shop and gaming cafe. It's called Coral Sword. You can stop in and play some Settlers of Catan and enjoy a nice pour-over. If you're in San Francisco, go to AT&T Park and watch him play baseball because it is great. We like to finish every bullseye with a culture recommendation from me. We call it The Outshot. So how can I even begin to describe the television show Toast of London? Actually, I guess I will start here. It might not be for you. In fact, it probably is not for you. There are a lot of TV shows these days. It might be better if you just watch Mom or 
Watch What Happens Live or Sports Center or Trading Spaces or whatever. In fact, that actually is my safest recommendation. Watch a different show, not Toast of London. But I will be watching Toast of London. It's not been a good week. I'm sleeping in a tiny chair. My back is killing me. I've just got divorced and they're still protesting at... At what? The bloody play that you put me in. If it hasn't come up on your Netflix, I will describe it as best as I can. Matt Barry is the star and co-creator. He is a honey-voiced British actor. And his character, Stephen Toast, is a honey-voiced British actor. Barry specializes in absurdly elegant, self-involved buffoons. You might recognize him from The Mighty Boosh or The IT Crowd, two of the biggest British comedies of the last 15 years or so. He's a little like Jack Black without the freneticism or Will Ferrell without that sweet self-doubt or maybe a fancy upper-class Patrick Warburton or a more absurd Chris Parnell. It's hard to describe. His character, Stephen Toast, lives in modern London, but he's more like a British stage actor from, like, 1976. He has a bride of Frankenstein shock of white in his hair. He's the kind of guy who drinks absurd volumes of liquor and then looks perfectly comfortable in a crushed velvet dinner jacket. But also, and I want to be clear about this, he is a pathetic failure. I mean, at one point in the show, his agent sends him out for a gig as a tour bus guide. I have good news on the Bond front. Are you sitting down? Well, I'm clearly sitting down, Jane. You've got the role. Really? But I made a slight error. They don't actually want you for the role of James Bond. They want you for Double Take Man. Is he a regular? No, he f***ing isn't. He's just a man who looks incredulous. Twice. He's no more than an extra. How the f*** could you get that so wrong? Can you stop swearing? The finer details must have been on the attachments, and I don't normally read attachments. Toast seems to make his living doing voiceover work, mostly. And it makes sense, since Barry has such a beautiful voice, although it is a beautiful voice that always sounds right on the edge of self-parody. His studio engineer is a hipster whose name is Clem Fandango, and Fandango's direction is utterly baffling and completely priceless. Yeah, can you hear me, Stephen? Yeah, I can hear you, Clem Fandango. Where's that other prick? Danny, he's DJing at a music festival this weekend. Yeah, just to be clear, so these will be heard on every submarine in the Royal Navy. Yeah, they're just automating and digitizing everything. You know, the commander presses a button and the recording of your voice will be heard immediately. Yeah, I'm not interested in all that. Can we just crack on? Fire the nuclear weapons! Stephen, that was good. But you think you can give it another try, this time say it in a less alarming way? Less alarming? I've just given the order to fire the nuclear weapons. I've just unleashed Armageddon. Yes, but the feeling here is that you could do it in a way which is a little less dramatic. It's just a little bit over the top at the moment. Have fun with it. Fire the nuclear weapons! That was a little bit too far the other way, a bit too jolly. Yeah, why don't you just try a few more times? Fire the nuclear weapons! 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 Nothing, nothing, nothing happens outside of quotation marks on Toast of London. 
Every moment is heightened into absurdity. But part of what's unique about the show is that somehow that absurdity underscores the stakes and the emotion instead of deflating it. It's a world with its own crazy rules, but it feels consistent. I mean, listen to this scene. Toast is in a play working with a crazy director. And no matter how crazy it gets, I mean, no matter what the director says, it feels when you're watching it like like it matters somehow. Quick question. Have you ever had anybody by the balls? Literally? Yes, I mean literally to feel another man's cojones lying in the palm of one's hand. Ever had that experience, Stephen? I can't say I have. You? Yes, I have. With Benedict Cumberbatch. Who? I felt them literally rolling around, both of us staring into each other's eyes. It seemed like an eternity, but it was less than half an hour. He cracked in the end. We did it my way. Oh, and also, he sings a song pretty much every episode. I had dreams. So did we all. But that life begins. My curtain call. I'm alone. And scared You are a fool When you die Who cares When I first turned on Toast of London, I thought it was too weird, even for me. But then I fell for the guy. I mean, there's something sweet about his idiocy. He isn't a monster. He's just a fool. And now he feels like... He feels like my most ridiculous friend. So maybe don't watch Toast of London if it sounds too weird. But actually, do. It's hilarious. That's my outshot. That's all for this week's Bullseye. Bullseye is recorded at MaximumFun.org World Headquarters, overlooking MacArthur Park in the Westlake District of Los Angeles, California. This week, outside our window, a black plastic bag floated nine stories up. Outside the Max Fun office window, someone should make that a scene in a movie or something. No, you know what? On second thought, too corny. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. He had help from Casey O'Brien. Production fellows for MaximumFun.org are Jesus Ambrosio and Shana Deloria. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. All our interstitial music is provided by Dan Wally. Our theme was recorded by the Go Team and provided to us by Memphis Industries Records and by the band. Just caught them on the Chris Gethard Show. Recommend you watch that. If you'd like to hear any of our past programs, all of them are free. Just go to MaximumFun.org or hit up our YouTube page. Search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne on YouTube. And while you're at it, check out our page on Facebook. We share all our interviews, clips and highlights, uh, dumb stuff we found on the Internet, cool stuff we found on the Internet, entertainment and culture news, and an article about ASAP Ferg tying a do-rag in which the most important thing we learned was that the GQ style manager spells do-rag, D-U-R-A-G, which honestly sounds like some kind of military acronym. Guess that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. NPR.